So we are in Lesson 39 of Matthew. We're looking at the parables of chapter 13. And by way of a quick review, remember that parables are illustrations that help us understand the deeper things of Scripture. They were simple stories that clarified the deeper meaning that the teacher was trying to convey to his disciples, his students. The word parable in the Greek means to lay side by side. And so we would compare the two to understand a Bible truth more fully. Well, chapter 13 is made up of seven parables. With two of those, we get explanations. And with five of those, all we get is the kingdom of heaven is like. And so the story is laid side by side with the kingdom of heaven, which is a rather broad topic. But the story tells us simply something about the kingdom of heaven in a simple way that we can understand. The point being that if you're going to understand the other five parables, these five parables, you have to have some understanding of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God or heaven, by definition, is the rule of God in either the universe, it could be speaking of the rule of God in the earth, in a nation, or even as small as a person's life. As an example, the kingdom of heaven was here in the first century in the form of Yeshua, and he was the king of the kingdom. Yeshua's life was ruled by God. He tells us he always did the will of the Father. That is the kingdom of heaven, and it was present in the life of Yeshua. The rule of God. Those disciples who learned from him and followed him later received the Spirit of God on Pentecost and were also members of the kingdom of heaven. And when they were present, the kingdom of heaven was present. They were, it was present in the form of its ambassadors who were the disciples. This is what it means to be part of the kingdom, to be under the rule, under the authority of the kingdom's ruler. We could say the same thing of the early communities of Yeshua in the book of Acts. When we read of them, we're amazed by the love that they had, by the unity they had, by the power that was within that congregation. And the reason is that in, in that community, the kingdom of heaven was present. The rule of God was present. So there is a broader sense as well. And some of the parables we're going to look at today will address the broader sense of the kingdom of heaven. We look at a community or a nation of people and that community or nation of people, if they follow the commands of God and the rule of God, there's a very, uh, it could be even a very small community like ours. Uh, But uh, they are in the broader sense the kingdom of heaven as well. And so we have three parables that address the kingdom of heaven in a broad sense in four in a narrower sense. And I want to look at these uh, somewhat out of order today in that we're going to jump around in the chapter because I want to cover the ones that look at the kingdom in the broader sense first. Because the first parable that we looked at last week was the first of those, I I want to do a quick review. Remember, we looked at the first parable last week, and by way of review, because it's going to be important for us to understand the rest of the parables, it tells us, what did it tell us last week? What did that parable tell us? It didn't say the kingdom of heaven was like, but it talked about the message of the kingdom 
and how it was accepted by differing disciples, four different types of disciples. This was a common rabbinic theme uh, in rabbinic literature. And uh, one of the more common you might remember is, is, uh, is um, told during the Passover Seder, the four sons. If you all remember from your Passover Seder, the, the story of the four sons. Very much the same uh, type of parable. The rest of the parables of the chapter are all going to start with the kingdom of heaven is like. So the first parable tells us what those who have accepted the message of the kingdom are like. Let's look at, let's just review the meaning of the parable of the sower one more time. I'm going to read it beginning with verse 18. We're not going to read the parable itself, but the meaning of the parable. Listen to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell in the rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, it lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, choke it off, making it unfruitful. The one who received the seed that fell on the good soil is the man who hears the word, understands it. He produces a crop yielding a hundred, a sixty, or thirty times that which was sown. And so this parable tells us how those who hear the message of the kingdom will respond, just like the four sons. It's one of four ways. And let's simplify this and look at this in light of the Sabbath. Let's just take the Sabbath. It's part of the rule of God. God says, keep the Sabbath holy. So let's look at this parable, these, these uh, four types of people, with the rule of the Sabbath. The first soil is the path. And he's the one who hears but doesn't comprehend. And so the evil one snatches away the message. If we look at this person as part of the kingdom, he is one who hears the message, but there's no change in his life. He hears about the Sabbath. He reads, remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Thou shalt not do any servile work, but you shall rest and have a holy convocation. He also meets the king of the kingdom. Someone has told him about Yeshua, but his life remains unchanged. Because the adversary snatches the message itself. The Sabbath makes no sense to him at all. He never attempts to change his life to conform. His heart is hard. And so the message of the kingdom is lost. So the message, like the seed, is wasted on this man. The second, the soil with rocks. He hears the message. He responds right away, making change in his life according to the rule of God in the kingdom. He meets the king, our Lord Yeshua. He hears keeping the Sabbath holy. He reads about keeping the Sabbath holy. But when persecution comes from his friends and family or others in the world, because of this change in his life, he falls away because he has no root to support him, nothing to sustain him. This is the one who hears God wants him to rest on the Sabbath and begins to do that and tells others, but when confronted by those who live differently and they challenge him, he has no support for what he's doing. And it does not sustain the change that he's made in his life. And so the message of the kingdom withers and dies. 
The third is the soil among the thorns. He hears the message, but the worries of this life choke the message. He too meets Yeshua the King. He reads resting on the Sabbath day, gathering together on the Sabbath day. He begins to make changes in his life to conform to the rule of God. But the pressures of making money, supporting his family, and so forth. These pressures in life keep him from the rule of God. Again, in the light of the Sabbath, this is one who hears that God wants him to rest on the Sabbath, to gather together, and he finds a place to worship, but the cares of this life, the pressures of work, the pressures of supporting a family, making money, choke off the change that has occurred in his life. And he goes, continues to work, and continues to violate the rule of God. So the message, like the seed, withers and dies. The fourth is the good soil. He meets the King Yeshua, he reads and he hears the message and he begins to conform his life to the rule of God. In regard to the Sabbath, he hears that God wants him to rest, to gather together with others on a holy convocation, so he changes his life to conform to the message that he hears. He finds a place to gather with others to support him and worships God on his holy day and becomes a light and a support to others whose desire is to live lives by the rule of God as well. Now I want you to see this. These people together are going to be what is going to be called the kingdom in the next parables that we're going to look at. All four of these types of soil are people who have heard the message of the kingdom. They know Yeshua. They all met the king. They all hear the message, but the rule of God had differing success in their life. And that's what Yeshua will get at in the next two parables that we're going to look at. The first one we're going to look at today is the wheat and the weeds. And Yeshua explains this one for us as well. We'll start by reading the parable. It's in verse 24. And it says, Yeshua told him another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. And when the wheat sprouted and formed heads and the weeds also appeared, the owners of the servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? The enemy did this, he replied. And the servants asked, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, First collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into the barn. Now, as I said, we're blessed with this parable because we have Yeshua give us the the meaning of the parable. If we just go to verse 36, it doesn't happen until verse 36. So we're going to skip down to verse 36, and we're going to read the meaning of the parable, and then we'll discuss it. Verse 36 says, Then he left the crowd and went into the house, and his disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. And he answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. Sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. And the harvesters are angels. And as the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out His angels and they will weed out of His kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into a fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Remember that scene, what we talked about last week. He who has ears, let him hear. It means, Yeshua is saying, this is important. Listen, Shema. This is the kingdom of heaven in the broadest sense. Is like this parable. The people who have heard the message of the kingdom, remember, the knowledge of Messiah will be preached to all the nations of the world. The Messiah has sown good seed into the world. And this time, the seeds are going to be the people and not the type of ground, as in the first parable. He's sown good seed, or we could say wheat, in the field. And the seeds are the sons of the kingdom. Those who do the will of the Father. They are the sons because they honor the Father. They live by His rule, His instructions. Good sons obey their fathers. Amen? This is the harvest that the Lord of the harvest is looking for. The weeds are those who are sown by the evil one. They are those who do not follow the will of God. Do not submit to the rule of God. But go the way of the world, the way of the evil one. Now remember, this is what the kingdom of heaven will be made up of at judgment. Now notice, go back to our four groups above. Notice that now those four groups are whittled down to two groups. There's only two groups, right? The whole world will have heard the message of Yeshua having come to save them at this time. They will have been preached in all of the nations. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The peoples of the earth will have responded, as we saw in the first parable, in one of four ways. Let's look at how our four would fit into these two on the day of judgment. I think the first should be obvious. The one who hears the message but has it snatched away and no change in his life would certainly fit into the category of a weed. Right? They are those who heard the message of Yeshua and the kingdom of God, but it made no sense to them, no change in their life, no faith in Yeshua. They are the ones who are sold by the evil one, and I think we can all see that. But the next two categories are not as easy. And yet they must fit into one of these two at the end, at the judgment. Because while there may be four examples of disciples, Yeshua has made it more than clear at the final judgment there will only be two positions. You'll either be with me, or you'll be against me. You'll either be a gatherer or you'll be a scatterer. He said that earlier, chapter 12. And as I said, the first is easy. He's not a gatherer, so he must be a scatterer. He's not with Yeshua. He doesn't conform to the rule of God, so he must be against Yeshua and against the rule of God. But the one who hears and the pressures regarding the word of God that came from others that kept him from obedience to God. Where does he fit into all of this? He hears about Yeshua and the rule of God. He accepts it and he rejoices in it, but it really doesn't change his life. God's rule is not present in his life. He's the one who knows Yeshua, but Yeshua doesn't produce any fruit in his life. This may be your neighbor who says, yeah, I know Jesus, but there's no fruit of that in his life. Those who take polls took a poll not too long ago, and that poll said that 70 to 80% of the people in the United States claim to be Christians, which means followers of Christ. But are they? Do their life show that fruit? Many go to church, but is the rule of God present in their lives? 
So the message of the kingdom, repent for the kingdom of heaven is, is at hand, has withered in their life. They haven't repented. The same is true of the other group. But the one who hears in the pressures of the world about money and so forth, keep him from obedience. Where's he going to be in all of this judgment? How will he be judged? Well, who can say? But the last two parables we're going to look at will speak about how important it is to make sure that you're not in one of these first three groups, but that you're in the last, the good soil. Finally, there's the one who is the good soil and the good seed, and he is the one who is totally with Yeshua, an ambassador of the kingdom, submitting to the rule of God, producing fruit in the kingdom. Again, he's the obvious one. We know exactly where he stands. He's one of the sons of the kingdom. In other words, we could say one of the sons of God. If we look at what Shaul tells us about the sons of God, we can learn more about what it means to be a good seed and to be good soil. Romans chapter 8 and verse 12 says, Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it's not to the sinful nature to live according to it. But if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received a spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And so Shaul tells us that the sons of God are those who put to death the misdeeds of the body, those who change their lives. They are those who are led by the Spirit and not by the flesh. If you're led by the Spirit, you are the sons of God, the sons of the kingdom of heaven. Same thing. Heaven is a circumlocution for the name of God. Sons of God are those whose lives are changed by being led by the Spirit of God. He also tells us this about the sons of God in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 26. You are all sons of God through faith in Messiah Yeshua. For all of you who were baptized into Messiah have clothed yourself with Messiah. It is our faith in Yeshua that begins the process of putting to death the flesh and begins the process of discipleship with Messiah Yeshua whereby we clothe ourselves in Him. We've taken off our filthy rags and clothed ourselves with love and devotion that Yeshua had for the Father and for His fellow man. They are those who have replaced the greed of the flesh with the generosity of the Spirit. The anger with the patience of Messiah. The bitterness with the forgiveness that Messiah exhibited. And then finally he says this about the sons of God in Romans chapter 8 and verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself would be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up into the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly 
as we wait eagerly for our adoption as son, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. So now here Shaul is saying very much the same thing, only he's not speaking in parables. He's just telling you like it is. That the sons of God are those who make Messiah Yeshua their master. Their lives are changed. Who put their faith, their lives in his hands. Who put to death the flesh. He tells us flat out the lesson of the last two parables that we're going to look at today. That the kingdom of heaven, while it may seem hard and difficult, is worth everything that you'll give. Every sacrifice that you'll make. And so he also tells us that the whole creation has waited, been waited eagerly and has been frustrated. We wait and groan for the judgment that Yeshua speaks of in this very chapter, chapter 13, when the angels will gather the weeds of the field and throw them into the fire. And God's sons, the sons of God, will be gathered to him on that final day. Now Yeshua tells us another parable, almost exactly like this one, but not until verse 47, and so we're going to skip down to this next parable, and then we'll back up and we'll look at the others. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on shore, and they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets and threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age, when the angels come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into a fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, just two types of people in the kingdom. And really, this parable after reading that, the last one is self-explanatory. It's the same lesson. And again, this is a shadow of the kingdom at the end, of the very end of the age and the judgment that's going to happen at the end of the age. Those who are the good fish are the disciples of Messiah Yeshua. And they will be rewarded in the kingdom. The bad will be thrown out where there'll be fire, Weeping and gnashing of teeth. We know where those who have refused to know God will go. We know those, uh, those who, uh, who were spoken of as the, the path and, uh, and as uh, the weeds. We know where they're going to go. Yeshua has been preached at this time to all the nations of the world, but they have rejected the message for the message of the evil one. But what again? Again, I've got to ask you, what about the other two groups of our four? We know where the first and the last are going, but what about the two in the middle of the four categories? Because again, the next two are not as easy. They must fit into one of these two categories at the end. All these four types of disciples must fit into one one of two categories at the very end. Yeshua made it more than clear that at the final judgment there will only be two positions, either with me or against me, a gatherer or a scatterer. And as I said, the first is easy. That first, he's not a gatherer, so he must be a scatterer. He's not really with Yeshua, so he must be against Yeshua. But the one who hears and the pressures regarding the word from others that keep him from obedience, what kind of a fish is he? And the one who hears and and the pressures of this world, the pressures of money and so forth, keep him from obedience to God, what kind of fish will he be? And finally, we have the one who's totally with Yeshua, producing fruit for the kingdom. Again, he's obvious. He is the good fish. And the sons of the kingdom, he's a follower of God. And even more specifically, he's one of the disciples of Messiah Yeshua, those that Messiah died for. Which category will those two fall into? 
Well, thank goodness it's up to the judge and not up to me. The lesson of the next two parables that we look at will tell us not to leave it up to the judge. Not to leave it up to to that. But to pursue with all of our hearts, with all of our resources, the kingdom of heaven. So on that day, we'll be in the obvious group of the good fish. The wheat of the harvest. And so Yeshua tells the disciples that at the end of the age, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for those who are not the sons of God. And this is a message you won't hear in the church very much today. You don't hear it in the church any longer. It's not well accepted that God would come and cause men to suffer for eternity. But I don't care what the church thinks. I'm afraid that it will be no avail to them on the day of judgment to have put their head in the sand because on that day, it will be a judgment that will send the majority of men to weeping and gnashing of teeth. Those who are not followers of Messiah, who have rejected the message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, are going to have a serious problem on that day. And we in the church, we do not do people justice by not telling them so. We do not do them a favor by not telling them of this judgment. Now, with the other parables of this chapter, he's going to tell us about the kingdom of heaven. He's going to tell us some other things. This time, he's going to tell us some things that are encouraging. First, we're going to look at a couple of encouraging things. He told us of four types of disciples, and uh, three of the four types of disciples don't really cut the mustard, so to speak, right? But the fourth type of disciple produces fruit that the three of the other four do not. And that really, you know, if you're listening to that, that sounds a bit depressing, right? I mean, if you think about it, three-fourths of the people are in trouble. Well, it's really probably worse than that. Because I don't think that the one group is that is exactly 25%. But what I'm saying is it sounds a bit depressing. The kingdom of heaven is just going to be a few people, it sounds like. The rest of everybody's going to go to weeping and gnashing of teeth. So Yeshua tells us something encouraging about the kingdom of heaven in the next parable that we find in verse 31. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field, though it's the smallest of seeds, yet when it grows, it's the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that birds of the air can come and perch in its branches. Now many commentators really try and overanalyze this parable, try to make the birds of the trees the same as the birds who snatched away the seed on the path in the the parable above. But I don't see that. Others Look at the mustard plant, which in this part of the world only grows very small, waist high at most, and say, oh, Yeshua is just using hyperbole. But I can tell you this, that in the warmer climates of the world, like Israel, the mustard plant grows, does grow nearly tree size. But here's the whole purpose of this parable. It's to encourage the disciples. The point that Yeshua is making is one of encouragement. He's saying, look, while three of the four of those types of disciples probably aren't going to make it. If you look around, they probably really cover about 90% or more of the people of the world. But he's saying it still remains that the kingdom of heaven will flourish and will be great in numbers. Even though three-fourths of the disciples above are not going to make it or are questionable, the one that does will be many and the kingdom of heaven will grow and flourish. The kingdom of heaven starts out small, like a mustard seed. 
Listen to how small Isaiah says it is. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3 says, A voice of one calling in the desert, Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the wilderness the highway of our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain shall be made low. The rough ground shall become level and rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. All mankind together will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And so the kingdom of heaven began with one calling, prepare the way of the Lord. It began with prophets and John, a man who was filled with the Spirit of God from birth, and he was preparing the way for the king of the kingdom. Then 12 disciples, then 120 disciples. Finally on Shavuot, 3,000 disciples were added to their numbers that day. The mustard plant is growing. It's well-rooted. The mustard plant has been growing ever since. Yeshua's parable is a story about the success of the kingdom. He's saying to us and the disciples, take courage, the kingdom is going to start small, but it will be great in the end. He tells them this in this parable, in verse 33. He told them still another, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked through the whole dough. Again, I think many commentators try to overanalyze this parable and try and make the yeast and say that the yeast, well, yeast is always a bad thing in Scripture, so this is, this is the evil one mixed into the dough. And they're saying that the yeast is like the weeds and the bath and fish in the other parables that we just looked at. But I don't think that's the case. I think Yeshua is telling us that uh, of the few that will accept, Yeshua is again making a point. While the kingdom of heaven is small, it will work through the entire world. It's the same point Isaiah made when he said, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all mankind together will see it. And it's a point that Isaiah makes in chapter 11. I want to read verses 1 through 9. It's a little long, but it's, it's beautiful. So It says this, A shoot will come from the stump of Jesse, and his roots, a branch, will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and power, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. He will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will lie with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. A cow will feed with the bear. The young will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra. And the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy in my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord. Just a small amount of yeast works through the whole large amount of flour until it's completely leavened. So too, the kingdom of heaven started out with a few preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But at the end of the age, the knowledge of God will cover the entire world. And so Yeshua's two parables here teach of the greatness of the kingdom in that it starts out small, really with just the king and his messenger, and yet it grows to fill the earth 
Just as a small amount of yeast leavens the whole batch of dough. And the smallest of seeds grows into a plant so large that the birds can nest in it. Yeshua also tells us now in the last two that we're going to look at, he tells us about the importance of the kingdom of heaven in two short parables. These parables were Yeshua telling us how important it is for us to be sure that we're one of those who are totally committed to God and not be found in one of those other three groups. Don't find yourself to have fallen in the hands of the judge because it's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So be one of those who sold out to God. That's what Yeshua is saying in these next two parables. Be one of those who sold out to God, who's willing to give everything for the sake of the kingdom. And then you'll, be, you'll know you'll be good on judgment day. Listen to what he says in verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that's hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again. And in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, people often want to overanalyze this parable and make the point that, well, the man had acted dishonestly. He found a treasure in a field, and yet he bought the field without informing the owner. That's not Yeshua's point. The parable teaches that the price of discipleship is great, but the reward is great as well. It was the point that Shaul made in the passage that we just looked at when he said that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. Everything we do, everything we give up in this life is nothing compared to what awaits those who are the sons of God. To be sure that we understand it, he tells us another parable. He says this in verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. You see, Yeshua is telling us that there's nothing greater that you can pursue in this life. Even if it costs you everything in this life. Because it's of such great value. It will be a point that he states plainly to a young man in Matthew chapter 19. In verse 16, he says, Now a man came to Yeshua and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good, Yeshua replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which ones, the man inquired. Yeshua replied, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I've kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? We're going to look at this in depth in a few weeks, but just the essence of the story. The young man asked Yeshua, What must I do to inherit eternal life? In other words, what must I do to be one of the good fish in the parable? Or the stock of wheat in the other parable? And Yeshua answers in essence, accept the rule of God in your life. Obey and keep the commandments. But I want you to notice that he includes love your neighbor as yourself. The young man says, all of these I've kept. What do I still lack? Well, Yeshua calls him on this. Because has he really loved his neighbor as himself? And if he has, why is there such disparity between the amount of wealth that he has and the hunger that his neighbor has? And so Yeshua says to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions, give to the poor, then you will have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. The young man heard this. He went away sad because he had great wealth. 
In the first century, Israel was a hard place. There were many who were poor. And yet we have this rich man who claims to have loved his neighbor as himself. How can you love your neighbor as yourself and yet watch him go with hungry? You love yourself. I don't see any of us going hungry. Certainly not me. So how can you let him go hungry? We're told in the book of Acts that those with wealth and with land sold what they had and gave to those who were without so that they had all things in common. Yeshua tells him, go sell all you have. That was the cost of discipleship with Yeshua. And it was high, but the reward is even greater. Sadly, the young man at this time didn't accept the call because like the thorns in the parable, the wealth and the worries of this life choke the message of the kingdom. So Yeshua continues, and he says this in verse 23. Then Yeshua said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who can be saved? And Yeshua looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And so Yeshua says, it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. In other words, it's impossible. That's what that means. A camel cannot go through the eye of a needle. It has nothing to do with a gate in Jerusalem or anything. It's just an impossibility. And the reason is there are so many poor in the world, so many that go without. And so the command to love your neighbor as yourself, how can the rich man stay rich with that command? A rich man goes into judgment with one of the two greatest commands suspect in his life, to love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 27 of chapter 19 says, Peter answered him, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? And Yeshua said to them, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you have followed me, will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses and brothers and sisters and father and mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. And so Peter says, Lord, we've left everything to follow you. In other words, he's saying, we're like the disciples, the good wheat. We're like the good soil. We're like the merchant who sold all of his pearls to buy one. We're like the man who sold everything he had to buy the field. And Yeshua tells him of the great reward that they will have at the renewal. And so let's finish off today, Matthew chapter 13. I'm just going to read this last part in verse 53. When Yeshua had finished these parables, he moved on from there. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue. And they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't he the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Yeshua said to them, Only in his hometown and in his own house is a prophet without honor. And he did not do many miracles because of their lack of faith. We're going to pick up here next week because Yeshua offers one of the reasons he may not have been accepted by the people of Israel of his day. But, and we're going to look at more of this next week, but we're going to leave off here 
uh, because I figured we will have just about filled up our time for the day. So, 